All right. Hey, I want to say hello to everybody worshiping with us online right now, everybody that's worshiping with us at our North Platte campus, and definitely to all of you that are here live right now. Uh, look, I don't know if you guys saw the announcements in North Platte that we saw in Kearney, but I just wanted to say I thought they were some of the best announcements ever, and I wanted to give it up for our youth pastors, Javen and Elise Troyer. I mean, come on. You guys are so cute together, and I never use that word, ever. Uh, I do think that there is a big issue with those announcements, though, and they do not reflect Javen in his appropriate manner uh, because he has dyed his hair orange. I mean, blonde. I mean, a different color. Uh, all because you lost a bet, man, right? That you, you said to the youth ministry, look, if you guys raise X amount of money for missions, I'll dye my hair blonde. And they did it, right? Quicker than you thought, right? Yeah, I'll teach you a lesson. All right. Right on. Yeah, I love, look, I love pastors that are willing to go all in like that to challenge the next generation, right? And I love our pastors who are the, who are the future generation to come. They're right behind me, and they'll be the ones that are going to lead the church into the future. Guys like Javen and also guys like Dave, our campus pastor at North Platte. And today, to lead us in the final week of this teaching series called Lies, we've got Pastor Dave, who's here with us live right now. Would you guys put your hands together with him, with me and just welcome him? Come on. Right on, bro. Yeah. Good to have you, man. Yes. Thanks for having me. Right on. So I don't get to ask the Carney campus very often, like, who's excited to be at church today? Very good. I'm going to ask North Platte, but I already know they're excited. Hey, North Platte, are you excited to be at church today? I think I can hear them. Okay. Very good. Well, hey, we are in the last week of our teaching series called Lies. If this is your first Sunday with us, I want to give just kind of a brief overview of what this series has been about. If you've been here for a few of the weeks, then maybe this is going to, just going to kind of help refresh your memory about what we've been going through. In week one, we kicked off the series by saying that Satan is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. We see that from John chapter 8, verse 44. It has this to say, about Satan. He lies. Oh, okay, okay, we got it. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. God, though, is complete opposite of Satan in this way. While Satan is the father of lies, God is the father of truth. Say that with me. God is the father of truth. Satan, he doesn't care what lie you believe. He just wants you to believe one. If you believe one, then it's easier for him to get you to believe a second and a third and a fourth and so on. While he wants you to believe any of the lies that he throws your way, there are some that he tries harder to get you to believe. Because if you do, his job of coming to steal and kill destroy, to wreak havoc, and bring chaos to your life becomes much easier. These types of lies that I'm going to talk about today all have one thing in common. Each one of them involves the Bible and how you view it. What's at stake when it comes to the Bible and how you view it? If the enemy can fool you and convince you one of the following lies that we're going to talk about today is true, then immediately every area of your faith is placed on shaky ground. Earlier in this series, Pastor Jeff talked about how God's truth can act as an anchor for us spiritually, preventing us from drifting with every lie that Satan throws our way. 
we know that there's an enemy there and he is going to get you or try to get you to drift and he's going to stop at nothing to do so. It's critical. It's absolutely crucial that we have a spiritual anchor. For us as Christians, our anchor is the Bible. It's impossible to be spiritually anchored in God's truth and believe even one of Satan's lies about the Bible. Believing one of these lies allows Satan to wedge into your life, wedge into your faith. He wants to worm and squirm his way in there so that he can begin to wreak havoc. When he wedges into your life, when he wedges into your faith, then he will leverage whatever lie you've bought into and use it to cause as much damage to your faith and to your life as possible. Today we're going to examine three of the most common lies the enemy tells regarding the Bible. They're not the only lies. In fact, he, he has a whole variety of lies regarding the Bible that he wants to tell you. But we're going to go over three of the most common lies that he tells. The first one is this. You can pick and choose which parts of the Bible you believe and follow. You can pick and choose which parts you believe and follow when it comes to God's word and God's truth. That's the lie that he's going to try to tell you. It's also maybe known as the Bible a la carte lie, where you can pick and choose the parts that you want to apply to your life. This lie wants us to believe that maybe we're too smart or we're too cultured to believe everything that the Bible has to say. This lie tells us that we don't have to believe and follow the parts of the Bible that maybe we don't agree with or we don't understand or are challenging in some way. In our society, we've grown accustomed to having everything catered to our personal desires, our personal preferences, our personal needs. And the enemy wants us to look at the Bible in the exact same way. If we don't like it or we don't understand something, then we can just dismiss it and we can choose something else. But the problem with this lie is this. How do you know which parts to believe and which parts to dismiss? When we buy this lie, we filter what we read in Scripture through the lens of what we want it to say and whether or not we're going to agree with it or not. Instead of letting what Scripture says inform our beliefs and form our opinions. The difference here is known as eisegesis and exegesis. Now, eisegesis, exegesis, they're not two words that we maybe use a lot today. Maybe the first time you've ever heard those. I promise you I didn't make them up. Pastor Jeff did. But no, I'm just kidding. Eisegesis versus exegesis. What do they mean? Eisegesis, we're going to start with that one. It's an eye-centered reading of the Bible. If you go into your Bible and you start reading with a perspective that you want the Bible to say what you want it to say, then that is eisegesis. Doing this creates an inaccurate interpretation of the Bible. Exegesis, though, on the other hand, starts with Scripture and seeks to bring out its meaning. Exegesis considers what the author of the text meant originally when it was written. Exegesis considers the context of the scripture. It doesn't just take one verse, but it considers the verses around it, as well as the context of the culture with which this scripture was first delivered. Exegesis wants to know what it would have meant to the original audience. So I want you to do something real quick. I want you to pick a topic 
that either at some point in your faith has been challenging for you to align with God's word, or maybe it's right now, you've been wrestling with something and it doesn't quite jive with what God's word says, so you're trying to decide if you're going to believe God's word and apply it or, you know, pick and choose your way. What might that topic be? It could be tithing, what you do with your money, how you use it, homosexual behavior, and whether you think that's right or wrong, whether or not hell exists, whether or not it's okay to live together before marriage, forgiveness, the roles of women or the roles of men, whatever, whatever topic has been challenging for you at some point, or maybe is right now, I want you to have that topic in your head. Then if you were to look at scripture with an eisegesis form uh, of diving into it, then you're going to read scriptures on that topic that you're thinking about right now from your point of view. Eisegesis leads you to look at that scripture through a, a bias for what you want it to say rather than what it actually may say. Oftentimes we do this and then use the scripture as ammunition to prove why our opinion or our belief is right. Exegesis, though, leads us down a different path. We can look at the exact same scripture on the topic that you've got in your head right now, but instead of looking at it with some preconceived belief about what it says, our top priority is seeking to understand truly what God's word says, what God is saying through the scripture, regardless of the opinion I carry into this study. Eisegesis leads us to buying a lie of the enemy, while exegesis leads to understanding and holding on to God's truth. Now, I briefly mentioned them already, but there are three common causes of falling into the eisegesis trap. Our intellect, we think we're too smart to believe what the scripture says. Our emotions, man, it just doesn't feel right. And thirdly, the commonly held beliefs of the culture in which we live can cause us to fall into eisegesis. Our, our intellect tells us that we're never wrong. Husbands, you probably don't know what that's like, do you? Never being wrong. But our emotions, our culture, they tell us to interpret Scripture in whatever way is going to make us happy. Whatever way is going to make us happy. I have kind of a silly illustration for this. When I was in middle school, I grew up in the town of Kozad. And at Kozad Middle School, you had two options when it came to lunch. You could either go in the, the regular lunch line where it was going to serve you a fairly well-balanced meal on a tray where you'd get an entree, you'd have a fruit, a vegetable, maybe some sort of sweet dessert, and then milk. Or you could go over to the a la carte line where you could buy whatever you wanted from basically this uh, just junk food counter, okay? And so one day I chose to ditch the regular lunch line to go over to the a la carte line because I wanted to pick and choose what I wanted to have for lunch, and all the cool kids were doing it, so I wanted to be cool. I want to go and do what they're doing. I, I picked Cool Ranch Doritos, nacho cheese dip to dip them in, and then a chocolate peanut butter bar that we all just called Reese's because that's what it tasted like. All right, Now, my intellect told me that this would be good. It was going to taste good, and it was going to make me look cool. Okay, My emotions told me that these would be good for me, and they'd make me happy. And I'd seen my friends eating this stuff for lunch, so eventually... Hey, I thought I should too. But I was do what I was doing was going to make me happy. And so what's so wrong with that? It's not going to bother anybody else, is it? Well, it didn't bother anybody else until I got to art class the very next period. 
after lunch. And I'm, wa- or I'm working on this art project at a table, and my friend Brooke is over on the other side, and we're talking as we're both working on our art projects. And pretty soon she asked, she said, what do you have for lunch? And here it was, I thought, man, this is my moment. I get to be one of the cool kids. I just ate what the cool kids usually eat for lunch. And so I you know, kind of proudly, confidently said, cool ranch Doritos, nacho cheese dip, and Reese's. To which she looked at me and she said, your breath is terrible. Your breath is terrible. Talk about going from this high and just crashing when I realized what my choices had done. As if the bad breath wasn't enough, this well-rounded lunch that I had just consumed gave me no energy for the rest of the afternoon. And if memory serves me correctly, I never chose to eat that combination for lunch again. You see, what seemed good in the short term was a recipe for disaster in the long run. It's the same when we pick and choose which parts of the Bible that we're going to follow, which ones we're going to believe, and which ones we're just going to cast aside. When we pick and choose which parts of the Bible we believe, we unintentionally hurt those around us, typically those that are closest to us, like my breath had done to my friend Brooke. You see, we trade the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ for an incomplete and inaccurate substitute. When you pick and choose which parts of the Bible you believe, whether you realize it or not, you're elevating yourself above God in your life. You're looking at God's word and and what he says, and you're saying, "Uh, no thanks, I think I can do it better. Speaking from experience, this is a terrible mistake that does not lead to a life you want to live. For a season in my life, I thought I was too smart to believe every word of the Bible, I thought I was smart enough to decipher which ones I should believe and which ones I shouldn't. And eventually, this lie that I bought into led to others that got me to the point where at one point I didn't know if God even existed because I drifted so far I did not have a spiritual anchor in my life. It's not a coincidence that the years that I did this, the years that I bought into this lie, were the most miserable years of my life. If you've been believing the lie that you can pick and choose what parts of Scripture you believe and apply to your life, I want you to know that things can change for you today. All you have to do is take one small step and grab onto one piece of truth today. I'm not asking you to immediately believe everything about the Bible, but I'm asking you to consider grabbing a hold of the truth found in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Let's take a look at what this says. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Can you take that one step today to say that these verses contain a truth that might make your life better? Can you say that God can see things that you can't see? That his ways and his thoughts are higher than your ways. If you can, then you'll recognize that God is like the eagle soaring at an altitude that you and I don't have in our life. He's able to see from a perspective that you and I can't see. While God is the soaring eagle that can see everything, you and I tend to be the field mouse with really poor eyesight that can barely see what's right in front of us. Today I encourage you, to grab onto the truth that God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than yours. 
when we step back from the hot topics that we were just thinking about and processing a little bit ago, they can be so divisive and, and we just look at scripture, I think most everyone would agree that God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. Once again, grab a hold of this truth. And if you do, then it can become a filter for the rest of Scripture. If you grab onto this one truth, then it transforms how you look at every other Scripture as you dissect it and you try to study it and understand it. Once you recognize Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 are true, then the next step is looking at a Scripture like Proverbs 30, verse 5. simply says this, Every word of God proves true. Which words of God prove true? Every. Not some, not most, not just the most obvious words, but every word of God proves true. If you grab onto God's ways and thoughts being higher than yours and that every word of God proves true, then that leads you to trust him when you're not sure you yet agree with him. No longer will you want to deal with eisegesis that's going to lead you astray, but you're going to desire scripture through the lens of exegesis that can find truth that will not be shaken. There's a simple formula for it. Scripture, plus diving into it exegetically, if that's a word, exegesis, where you're seeking what God originally intended in his word, you put those two things together and you will find God's truth. It is a recipe, it's a formula that will not lead you astray. If there is a scripture or a belief in the Bible that you are wrestling to agree with, in light of these scriptures that we've just looked at, I encourage you to do what noted leader Andy Stanley suggests. He says this, to understand why, submit and apply. To understand why God says what he says, if you truly want to understand why, submit to God's word and then apply it. Put it into practice in your life and see how God reveals his truth once you have submitted to the authority of his word and applied it to your life, to understand why, submit and apply. Another critical action step you can take is to find someone to talk about what you're wrestling with. The enemy would love to see you struggle with your questions by yourself. How many of you know that you're easier to attack if you're trying to deal with something all on your own? But if you get in the context of, say, a life group, where you can share what you're struggling with, you can encourage and be encouraged, you can challenge and be challenged with other people that are on this same journey of trying to grow in their understanding of God's truth, then you have found a safe place where you might just be able to land on, okay, God's word says this, I'm going to believe it about this, this topic in my head. Another great place to, to dive into God's word with other Christians that are on the, the path and that journey of seeking truth is in a growth track course. Now, North Platte, these are coming next year in 2019. We can look forward to them. If you're here at the Kearney campus, dive into a growth track course and see what God does with your knowledge and your understanding of his truth. Now, if the Bible a la carte lie hasn't fooled you, then what about this one that says you're not a good Christian because you don't know enough about the Bible. You're not a good enough Christian. You're not good enough because you don't know enough. Raise your hand if you've ever believed that lie. Okay? I think most of us could agree with that. If that's not a lie for you, wait for the next one. I've got one for you. All right? This lie is one of the most commonly believed lies that I've come across in my time of ministry and really just my time of pursuing God even before I was in ministry. 
It impacts new Christians and Christians that have followed Christ for years. It can affect you in a variety of ways. One, it can cause you to experience paralysis in your faith because you don't feel like you'll ever know the Bible well enough. So why even try? You'll avoid settings where you're around other Christians. You'll avoid the very settings I just encourage you to jump into. You'll avoid life group. You'll avoid growth track. Why? Because you don't want to be exposed as someone who doesn't know as much about the Bible. When you don't read God's word, though, you're missing out on what he wants to speak to you through it. This lie that you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough, it holds you in bondage. And it makes you feel like a failure and tells you time and time again, just give up because you're not ever going to be good enough. What do you do with this lie? If that's the lie that you've been buying into recently, I want you to stop comparing yourself to others. Stop comparing yourself to others. And you're maybe sitting there saying, Dave, I'm competitive. i got to compare myself to somebody. I've got that person for you in just a second. But it's so defeating to compare yourself to somebody else, especially if you are just diving into Scripture and you don't feel like you know hardly anything at all. You go and you have a conversation with somebody who's maybe followed for years, and, and it's so defeating because you're comparing your start to somebody else's middle. You're comparing your start to somebody else's end. So stop comparing yourself to others. And guess what? The truth is there's always going to be someone who knows the Bible better than you. God's word is for anyone, though, who has an open mind and a teachable spirit. Multiple places in Scripture you can read these words from Jesus. He said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has a desire to know me, and my word and my truth, let them hear it. So if you have a desire, God promises to let you hear his truth and his word. So instead of comparing yourself to others, I encourage you today to compare yourself to you. Compare yourself to you. Each day, make it your mission to get to know the Bible and God's word better than you did the day before. And then wake up the next day and do the same thing. Take it little by little and get to know God's word better today than you did yesterday. And it's not quite as intimidating. It's exactly what I did when I was trying to figure out if I wanted to follow Jesus or not. I started, I, I was like, okay, if I'm going to commit to following him or even entertain that idea, I need to get to know Jesus. The best place for that is his word. And so I started taking just a little bit a day or each, each day, just a little bit at a time, not even a full chapter necessarily of the Bible. And I would just read a little bit and read a little bit and then read a little bit day in and day out. And it's what led me to the truth that yes, Jesus is who I need to follow. God's word is believable. God's word is true. So I encourage you day in and day out, compete against yourself to get to know the Bible just a little bit better each and every day. Over time, you will grow closer to God's word and gradually distance yourself from the lie that you aren't good enough to know God's word. Lastly, if the enemy can't get you with one of these first two lies that you can pick and choose what you want from the Bible or that you're never gonna be good enough to, to know the Bible, then maybe he's got you with this one. It says you're a better Christian than others because of how much you know about the Bible. This lie of arrogance, this lie of pride, has the potential to hurt those around you. Should you be motivated to learn as much about God's word as possible? Yes, absolutely. 
but only if you have the right motives, if you have the right heart, if you have the teachable spirit that Jesus is looking for. So I want you to grab onto this today. Know when to use God's word as a weapon and when to use it to be a witness. Know when to use God's word as a weapon and when to use it to be a witness. When fighting off the attack of the enemy, it's okay and you should use God's word as a weapon. In fact, when you do that, you'll be just like Jesus. In John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, it contains an account of where the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the desert for a considerable amount of time. And while he was there, the devil comes and he attacks Jesus three different times. A couple of the times, he actually tries to use scripture. He, he used them combined with eisegesis to say what he wanted to say, to try to fool Jesus into compromising and believing the lies that he was trying to sell him. And all three times, what does Jesus do? He uses scripture, he uses God's word as a weapon to fight off the attacks of the devil. Again, there are times to use God's word as a weapon. However, Jesus did not use the word as a weapon to wound other people. Take, for example, the story in John chapter 8 of a woman. She's been caught in adultery. She's been caught in sin. And she's been brought out in front of a crowd of people. In that crowd, it contains teachers of religious law and a group of Pharisees that wanted to use God's word. They wanted to use scripture to wound this woman. They wanted to use it to tear her down. And let's look at Jesus' reply when they are sitting there trying to use his word against this woman. Found in John chapter 8, starting in verse 7, Jesus says, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let the one that is perfect use the word to wound her. He goes on in verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Wasn't even one of them perfect enough to use my word against you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Know when to use God's word as a weapon and when to use it to be a witness. This, this command to be a witness comes from the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. It's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1. You may be familiar with it. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere. He doesn't say you're going to be my warriors wounding people everywhere. You're going to be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Use God's word to witness. He's called you to be a witness. He hasn't called you to wound others. If you are someone with great knowledge and understanding of the Bible, praise God. And then use it to witness to others with love and grace and compassion I want, to ask you, I want you to ask yourself two questions real quick. One, is there somebody that I have wounded in the past when I should have witnessed to them? If so, I encourage you to go seek forgiveness this week. Go seek them out and let them know, hey, I screwed up. I wounded you with the word. I know that I did that. And I'm sorry, that was never my, should have never been my intention. All right? Second question is this, who do you have in your life that you can witness to? 
Who do you have in your life that you could speak life into using God's word to witness to them? I'm going to guess your list of who you need to witness to is a whole lot longer than who you need to go around and wound. Who do you need to witness to today or this week? The lies we've covered regarding the Bible, and as I said, are just a few of the many the enemy will try to use. While it's certainly good to be aware of the lies, the most important thing for you to be aware of, though, is the truth. And the truth is this, that the Bible contains the pathway to your best life. The Bible contains the pathway to your best life. Your best life is possible when you do your best to live out all of God's word. Not just the parts that are easy, not just the parts that you understand, but all of God's word. Your best life is possible when you do everything you can to grow close to God's word without comparing yourself to others. Your best life is possible when you value God's word for the treasure that it is. Now, I want you to picture in your mind for a second a scenario. If it's easier for you, go ahead and close your eyes. If not, uh, you don't want to fall asleep, keep them open. But picture this. You are dropped in the middle of a forest with absolutely no sense of direction to start. You, you have no clue where you are, and you have to figure out how to get out of this forest. There's one tool that you'd be desperate for. You'd be desperate for a map that details the terrain of the area that you are in. You would love to know where there are rivers, where there are mountains, where the nearest town is. You would do anything for a map. Without a map, you can wander for days, facing all sorts of obstacles with little to no hope of actually finding your way out of the forest. You'd grow frantic. You'd grow weary from the struggle. You grow defeated when you can't tell if you've made any progress because you still don't know where you are. But with a map, you can discover your location and then navigate difficult terrain with a sense of hope, knowing the direction that you're going. It doesn't mean just because you have a map that you won't face obstacles. Your path won't be free of difficulty, but you will be traveling with a tool that can give you hope and will help, you lead, get, help lead you out of the forest. You may still face a river that you have to cross, but you'll know the difficulty is worth it because it's going to lead you to where you're supposed to be going. Navigating life without trusting and getting to know God's word is frustrating and defeating. You work really hard and you get nowhere. You can live an incredibly busy life with seemingly lots of important things to do that end up not amounting to much. You can struggle to find direction but navigating life using God's word as a guide leads to a life of joy in the midst of pain, peace in the midst of sorrow, a life of joy and love and purpose and direction, compassion, and on and on. So I want to encourage you today, develop a hunger for God's word. How do you do so? By diving into it a little bit at a time consistently, and you will develop a hunger You'll start to see it for what it is, God's direction for you to discover your best life. And I want to return to Isaiah chapter 55. And this time we're going to read just beyond what we read before. Starting in verse 8, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. 
For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. Not sometimes, not maybe, not potentially. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Today, your best move is to begin to develop your hunger for God's word. When you do that, you'll see it for what it is. It's your guide to discover your best life. You'll start to experience the fruit of God in your life. So today, plant the word of God deep in your heart and let it prosper. Why don't you stand with me as we prepare to go into a time of response to worship this God that loves us enough to give us his truth, to give us the map to discover our best life. Let us pray. God, it's humbling to, to consider just how much you love us, that you did not create us to wander this earth on our own, to try to find our own direction, to find our own purpose, to discover our own value. But God, you've given us your word. You've given us your word of truth where every word of it proves true. Today, wherever we're at, God, I pray that you would draw us a little bit closer to you and your truth. I pray that as we dive into your scripture, God, you would create in us a hunger to know you more. God, I thank you that you are not a distant God, but yet you are a God that desires closeness and intimacy, that you are a God that wants us to live our best life, the life that you have created, to accomplish the purpose and the plan that you created for us long ago. God, I ask that you would reveal to us your truth as we dive into your word. And as we worship you today, God, draw us closely. Draw us closer to you than we've ever been before. Tear down the walls, remove the lies that the enemy have filled us with, and replace the, the space in our life, the space in our heart that those lies have been taken, it up, taken up. Replace it, God, with your truth today as we lift our voices and we worship you today. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.